In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show. Ian Garlic here. And today we're going to talk about marketing through relationships with the founder of the band, Morbid Cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Michael Roderick is an expert. Um, you know, he was a Broadway producer and moved from there to start an arts incubating program and developed a workshop on networking. It's really about getting in front of the right people, building those relationships, and we'll talk about today, building a referrable brand. We all live on referrals, and a referrable brand is gold for most of us, if not all of us. Michael, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you about this. We were talking a lot before the show, but let's talk a little bit about about how you got in. What was that moment? that you realized how important building relationships was and that probably most people don't know how to do it the right way? That's an interesting, that's an interesting question. I, I think that where it really hit for me was I was still teaching high school and I got an internship with a Broadway producer and I had just started to learn about, okay, this is how you raise money. And one of the things that I learned about in that whole process of raising money was that it wasn't this um, just like simple kind of simple kind of thing as a lot of people were kind of presenting it. Right? There was this uh, there was this dynamic that it was like, oh, you just go and you find investors, and that's <laughs> you know that's how all of this works. And uh, it, it reached a point where people would reach out to me, and the the top question that they would ask when I would start raising money, and I would I had gotten my first Broadway credit, was how do I find investors? My answer was always the same: you stop calling them investors. These are mm-hmm. these are human beings. These are these are individuals, and individuals have their own desires and their own interests and their own things. So when I started to realize that it really wasn't about me. It wasn't about what I was trying to raise or about the shows I was working on or about how important, you know, I was, it was about what did they want to accomplish? Like, what did they want to, what did they want to move forward? Uh, and the second that I started to realize that it suddenly became clear, Oh my God, there's, this is a, this relationship thing is a rabbit hole. This is not just simple. Oh, you know, say this phrase, worship the God of reciprocity. And then like the world just like solves all your problems. It's, this is like real science. There is a lot of stuff that's happening psychologically for people that we don't even realize is going on in the background. Uh, and then it just kind of took me down this, uh, this path of really studying it and really thinking about it differently. So Obviously, at one point, you got to this idea of building a referable brand, and I want to get to that. We'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. But what would you say 
is what was the first thing that you realized? I mean, obviously you said that, you know, stop treating like investors and treat them like human beings. Mm. But how do you do that? How did you start doing that? Sure. So uh, originally I, I've got a theater background and I was getting, I was going through a class in um, my master's program in educational theater. And one of the things that they brought up was the idea of simulations. And basically when you simulate an experience, there's kind of something fascinating that happens. A lot of people, even though they know they're in a simulation, they don't realize that they're in a simulation and they start acting in the way that they would act in an everyday environment. So I could tell you, okay, we're going to act out this scenario, but somewhere within the process of acting out this scenario, you would start to buy into the scenario. So what I started to do is I started to host workshops where I would simulate networking experiences and I'd have people act out basically roles in these social situations. So I'd have two people sit across from each other and act out a job interview. And I would just give them the the rule of, okay, you have a job to give, you need a job, go. And I would have the group watch and we'd talk about what did you notice? Where did that person open up? Where did that person close down? And I started to realize as I was watching all of these different scenarios that there were a lot of really interesting patterns in just the way that we interact when we're asking for things and when we're giving and and all of those different types of elements. So I started to develop a number of frameworks around that. And so the frameworks, obviously, you know, the referable brand, who did you first start working with and really make it work for? Yeah. So at the very beginning, it was a lot of folks in the arts. And Mm -hmm. and the way that I like to frame it is that, uh, and this was how I raised money for Broadway too, is that RAB is attracted to TAC, which stands for rich and bored is attracted to talented and crazy. And, and, and that could be rich and bored in the sense of they have a lot of money, but that could also be rich and bored in the sense of they have a lot of notoriety, they have a lot of, they have a lot of clout. And people who are at very, very high levels, they're always looking for who has something sort of uh, quirky and interesting that not everybody else is coming to me with or acting in you know, that particular way. So when I started helping these artists really focus on what were the things that they brought to the table, what were the things that only they could do and only they could uh, put out there, what I found was they started getting a lot more meetings with the people that they wanted to get meetings with and people were willing to spend more money on their services because they, they went from this place of competition of like, I can do it cheaper, I can do it faster to um, this place of specialization where it's like, it's not going to be cheap and it's not going to be this uh, sort of commodity type of thing. This is something I've spent a lot of time understanding. And if you want a real talented person who has done a deep dive in this area, then you work with me. If you want somebody who's just going to give you the lowest price, then you work with the 15 other people who are doing what I do. This is, I mean, and I think this is a super important thing for us to realize now because we, you know, I know when I first started doing like SEO and video SEO, this is now 10 years ago, mm. you know, it, 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 I guess, the, you know, because you were the only one there, only one doing it, we, you could put up something and boom, you know, you, you'd get, you, you'd be, the, you'd be the winner. But now we have to stand out. And I see it's funny. Everyone's talking about 
you know, all these techniques of getting in front of people, getting leads, getting, you know, uh, you know, here's your offer. Here's how you sell high ticket offers. Here's blah, blah, blah. But no one's talking about, you know, and I, I in fact, I even read your recent article on LinkedIn, the short one mm-hmm. about, um, about the offer, you know, mm-hmm. and what am I buying? And I think that's a super important point that people need to realize is that what, instead of like talking about all this other stuff, what makes me different for you? Yeah. And I, and I often will tell people, you know, you'll hear folks say, oh, well, if I can just get in the door with this person, or if I can just get an introduction to this person. And, and the thing is, it's not about access. We, we've sort of hit that point where we can get access. We can, we can find ways to get in front of people because technology has made it really easy in many cases to get in front of people. It's about interest. If you haven't crafted enough to make that person interested to want to continue the conversation, then whatever it is that you're presenting, it's just going to fall on deaf ears because we're, we're inundated. I mean, just today I got, you know, five or six different you know, messages, whether it be through, you know, LinkedIn or whether it be on the book of faces or, you know, any of these places (laughs) where somebody's like, Oh, you know, I, um, I noticed that you're doing this and, and have you ever thought about, you know, having your website or blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, dude, like, I don't care. I'm not like, you haven't taken the time to think about who I am. You haven't taken the time to ask me an interesting question. You're just here pitching your stuff and and we're all inundated. We don't want this stuff anymore. So people have to start to think about, okay, how are you going to show people that what you are doing is, is tied directly to you, that you're the one who can do it, that not that all of, you know, not that you're parroting other people's dynamics and other people's uh, other people's way, uh, and that's one of the big problems. A lot of the stuff out there is giving you scripts and giving you templates. So now I'm getting these templates, some in some cases sent to me by a damn bot, right? Of somebody telling me like why their stuff is valuable, and I'm reading it. And I'm like, I just read this in so and so's last. <laughs> I just saw the same exact thing. So what's going on? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's people aren't taking the time to understand mm. what the, the person on the other side. And I think that's a critical, critical part about what you're talking about. So w- what are some of the other way? I mean, what are some of the ways that you can a get to know and ask a, a question? I mean, first mm. of all, how do I ask the right question? Yeah. So a lot of the time, uh, the mistake that I see made is that there isn't enough research done before asking the question. So people will reach out and they haven't read your stuff. They haven't really paid attention to anything. And because they have a template, the template basically um, gives them a line usually in the template that says that they've read your stuff. So they'll reach out and they'll say, oh, you know, uh, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I've really found it to be useful. I think my client would be a great fit, you know, on your podcast because of X, Y, Z. And here's all the social proof of the places that they've been. Uh Um, You know, will you, uh, you know, would you consider having them on? And, you know, with a lot of these people, I love to go back and say, oh, well, what was your favorite episode of the show? (laughs) (laughs) What, you know, like, what did you actually like? So, so I think, you know, if you're thinking about reaching out to somebody and you want to ask them a question, 
if your question isn't researched and thought out, chances are the question's going to be ignored. So it's better to go and read, like let's say somebody read the LinkedIn article that you read and they, um, it's called the conversion thief, right? And it's the idea that basically complexity ends up being the thief of most conversions, where if we have too many decisions to make when we're looking at somebody's offer, a uh, paradox of choice goes into effect and we won't actually make a decision. Mm-hmm. So if somebody came to me and sent me an email and said, you know, I was actually thinking about paradox of choice and I was curious, how many uh, choices do you think we should offer when we're putting out a when we're putting out a sales letter or or something of that nature? I'm much more likely to respond to that than somebody who says, "Hey, I read your articles. Do you want to grab coffee?" <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like the, when we're developing relationships, especially if we're developing relationships with higher level people, people who are busy, people have a lot of things going on. We need to make sure that we're pulling the thread and just getting them to be interested enough to respond. And a little bit of email back and forth, a little bit of conversation can lead to you being able to get into a longer scale conversation with them. But most people are taught to go for the jugular the second that they get into that conversation or to do this in a sequence where it's like, okay, if they don't respond, send them this follow-up and then send them this article and all of these different types of things. And the fact of the matter is, if they don't respond the first time, then there's a reason. Mm -hmm. And you've got to really think about what that reason is. It's not always that we're just too busy to get your message. It might be that your message was just not interesting enough. It might be that your message sounded like the 10 others that I got this morning because you all bought the same course from the same expert. You know, like that's really what it it comes down to because there's tons of people out there right now teaching people just follow my script or just follow my template and you can, you too can access the, you know, the, the, the elite. But the problem is once everybody starts using that same template, people start getting it and they're like, oh, well, okay, I know what's going on now. You know, I know what's, I know what's happening. So now we don't trust the, uh, the message because the message is not coming from them. It's coming from, it's coming from a cut and paste that they decided to, that they decided to do. Yep. Yeah. It's funny. One of my clients, I mean, I see those all the time when my clients send me over that, that, you know, like, Oh, this is what's wrong with your videos. And I'm like, well, a, they're obviously didn't look at the videos cause that's, <laughs> that's not wrong. Uh, but you know, now you completely don't trust and you've, you've ruined that relationship right at the beginning. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I think that's an important thing. And we're all selling funnel, 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 funnel. And we're hearing that over in automation and all this stuff. And I think there's a place for that. Mm-hmm. But a, a lot of times it's not right at the beginning of this relationship. And I, I, it, it's generally not. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the thing is when you have trust, then a funnel makes sense because people, people have basically decided that they want to stay in touch with you. They want to listen to your information. So they'll be open to the fact that new information is going to come on a relatively regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. And built that level of trust. But if your first interaction with somebody is, I'm going to send you this and then I'm going to send you this and I'm going to send you this, that's a funnel that is just not smart. 
Because the second that you ignore, uh, annoy someone, they're not going to want to be on your list. They're not going to want to have any, anything to do with you because you're not paying attention to them. Again, it comes back to that point you know, of it's not about you. It's about them. And the more that you're able to make it about what is it that they're interested in and that they're excited about and get a conversation started, then you'll have plenty of people who will say, yeah, I'd love to be on your list. And when they're on your list, they, they're happy to be part of a particular funnel if there is something that, again, fits for them, is useful for them, is interesting for them. And I think a lot of the time what tends to happen is that – there's this there's this really interesting dynamic. Uh, I have a I have a good friend who uh, he's he's in the coaching space and he says something that I that I go back on uh, that I go back to all the time, which is that the things that are really good for marketing are bad for real life. Mm-hmm. And marketing, in and of itself, you know, when something really triggers uh, an audience, it's usually because there is a aspect of this thing is going to be a lot easier right? So there's that presentation of you don't have to work so hard. This is the thing that's going to be easier. And the fact of the matter is there is no five-step process, one switch, one thing that you change, et cetera, that's going to work on every single relationship because every individual is different. Mm -hmm. And it's our job to understand that. It's our job to understand those individuals and really think about that process as opposed to just uh, thinking that everything's just going to be solved instantly because uh, we said this phrase instead of that phrase. Yeah, this phrase instead (laughs) of that phrase because we all want that magic copy. Well, copy is important. You know, like you said, the offer is is more important and then – and the copy comes from it, but it's not going to be just a, you know, it's not going to be a single phrase that does it. And yep. Building trust over time. Um, so when it comes to this, I mean, obviously now, now we've seen, now let's talk about, about building a referable brand because it is a process of building that relationship, right? Yes. And so you, you've developed, um, you've, you're talking about frameworks. Mm-hmm. So if it is a framework, how do you allow the framework to be flexible enough to, sure to accomplish this. Yeah. So, so the first thing to understand is that, uh, and it's interesting you mentioned copy because there is a section in, um, Gene Schwartz book, uh, breakthrough advertising, which if, if you want to do copy, if you want to do anything with copy, it's like, you have to read that book. Right. Um, so you understand where all of this is coming from, but there's a section of that book where he talks about the fact that as markets become more sophisticated, it's the job of the copy to respond to that market. So at the very beginning, when a market is, is brand new and doesn't even know that the product, you know, and, and basically just kind of knows that the product is and sort of knows the idea of it, it's easy enough to just like write copy that it's going to be 50% off and there will be people who buy. But mm-hmm. as things get more sophisticated and as more choices come along, the copy has to get more sophisticated and we have to think much more carefully about that particular process. And brand is, is heading into that crest because everybody has pushed differentiation for years as, in essence, the holy grail of success. 
So everybody has in some way sold some aspect of your thing has to be different. And what tends to happen is you get all these people out there trying to create something that's different, but the market now is we've already been exposed to different. So it's not enough anymore. So what do we have to start to look at? We have to start to look at three factors. And this is the framework that I use. And it's, uh, it spells the word aim because you really, have to, you really have to have an aim when you're thinking about this process. And that's accessibility, influence, and memory. So first and foremost... We have to think about if we're going to create a referable brand, if we're going to create a brand that people talk about outside of our industry, and that's a really important point because most people, they create something and then they end up what I like to refer to as the echo chamber of the enlightened, where everybody's using the same language and talking about the same things and and it's a love fest, but you go outside of that industry and people are like, what the heck are you talking about? So you have to start from an angle of, do you have you created some level of accessibility to, to your idea that people outside of your industry could understand it? And in some cases, that could be an anchor so that they know uh, an example of something else that is widely known that's, that's happened before. In some cases, that's just a change in your language and thinking about your language. Uh, and in other cases, that's really looking at how much jargon are you using that's tied to your industry and how do you make sure that, that there's, there's a different way of presenting that information if you go outside of your industry? And then influence has two factors. One is that the language that we use in whatever it is that we're putting out there, if it's a personal brand, if it's a, if, if it's a business brand, has to have some aspect of moving people to action, getting them to actually do something. And if the language itself is flat, most people aren't going to share it with their friends because the reason why we share things with our friends is because it makes us look better. So that if your content or if your ideas, if your, if your concept doesn't make the other person look better, in many cases, they don't share it because for them, it's, it's about showing that they know something. It's about being fancy at a cocktail party. But then beyond that, on the influence side, you also have to have a network of people and people around you who are willing to share your ideas so that it's not just you talking about your ideas and talking about your brand and talking about, talking about you because that can only go so far. So you need that additional level of influence to attain that level of crossover. But the thing that is still people are still kind of barely scratching the surface on and that is incredibly important in terms of people actually sharing is memory. And if you don't build mnemonic devices into the material, then there are people out there who are going to be less, less researched, have uh, you know, ideas that are half-baked, that are going to get much, much further because they came up with an easy way for people to remember it. And those people share it with their friends and put it out there with their friends. And this is very high, like, you know, 30,000 foot view of this particular framework because I could go into uh, a rabbit hole with each of these things. But anytime I'm sitting down with a client, anytime I'm working with somebody on this idea of creating a referable brand, they're falling down in one of these areas. 
it's either not accessible enough or there is no influence built into what they have or there is no influence of their network itself or they've never thought about memory or their memory device is one that's not easy for people to actually use and, and share the content and share the ideas. So that's the, that's the um, overall framework of this, uh, of this process. And that's a great, I mean, that's a great checklist because if it doesn't, if it's not accessible, obviously you have to have the influence and memory and, and you know, what immediately, you know, I, I think of stories because Mm -hmm. stories can hit all those, um, except for the mnemonic, the easy to, to remember and retain. I think an important part too, about the memory part of it and, and the, you know, and having something like that is then if you're the first one there with that or something that stands out now, everything that they, cause people are going to compare, right. Mm-hmm. And now everything they compare to is your system. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, there's all of these instances in which there are waves cresting in every industry and it's your job to get up to that top of the wave with an idea before the wave crashes, right? It's Mm -hmm. your job to ride that. And what tends to happen is that a lot of people, they're spending so much time doing the work, right? And being, you know, being the provider of the service, et cetera, that they don't take the time to A, look at the wave that's coming and B, build that surfboard so that they can get up top, and and be on that wave. And what happens is a lot of the time they get crushed by the wave. They get, you know, and somebody else often who is not nearly as uh, hardworking as them, who hasn't done nearly as much research, that person comes up with the thing and rides it. And the rest of their, you know, the rest of their time, that person is just trying to catch up because it's so easy for us to make our thought leadership and our ideas a someday later thing. It's so easy to say, oh, well, this is, a, you know, my, my concepts are, are, are pretty interesting um, and I probably should codify them somehow. I probably should write something about my ideas, but for everybody or for a large portion of people, that becomes a, yeah, and I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll set aside a weekend to do that. And then that weekend never comes. The, and so uh, when it comes to that thought leadership and, and this word, I, you know, I almost cringe when I hear it now Yeah, because so many people say, oh, I want to be a thought leader. And, and then I, yep. you know, it's funny you say that because the people I feel like should be thought leaders and I've been around, they, they are afraid to put it out there because they're like, it's not complete. The guys that really are really good. And then you have the people that just take a bunch of everyone else's stuff, package it together and go, oh, I read the, these three books. I'm yeah. now a thought leader. <laughs> yep. uh, and but they get out there and they just pound you with the idea. Yep. Um, w- at what point, how do you take, I mean, like, I, how do you take and make that leap if you actually have helped other people? Where do you, uh, how do you guide people to take that leap? Yeah. So the, so the very first thing is that most people suffer from what I like to refer to as polishing the car, but never driving it. So, mm-hmm. so they have plenty of great ideas. And they have plenty of good things that they're doing for their clients. And they've even made their clients successful. But then they believe that they have to write this like beautiful blog post that goes viral, right? <laughs> or they have to be able to, you know, come up with this idea for this like 
amazing talk that will somehow magically be picked up as a TED talk. And, and that's where their success lies and, you know, all of these different types of things. So they agonize over trying to make this thing perfect. And in the interim, the people who are not really coming up with anything original are out there and actually putting their stuff out there. So I often tell people whenever they're struggling with writing, I write a daily email. I write every single day, Monday through Friday. And people always ask me how it is that I write every day. And I tell them, it's a very, very simple formula. I give myself permission to suck. I basically say that there is no way if I'm going to put out content on a regular basis, that every single thing I'm going to write is going to be brilliant, well thought out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if I start putting things out there, then the market is going to tell me what it likes because people are going to respond. They're going to tell me, they're going to email me back and say, this changed my life or this helped me or this, you know, this supported me, or I'm going to hear crickets, but whatever it is, I'm getting information. And then I can figure out based on that information, oh, this is something I need to do a deeper dive in. This is something everybody's asking about. This is something that everybody needs. If I were to sit there and say, how do I come up with the most brilliant thing to write and it's never good enough and I just keep trying to polish every single idea and every single concept, what's going to happen is it's just never going to get out there. Mm-hmm. So for anybody who is struggling with that, it's like you just have to start from a place of giving yourself permission to suck, basically being like, I'm going to put out what in essence is a draft, right? And people are either going to like it or not like it, but there's going to be something in there that's the seed of something that's useful that maybe I can explore and, and, and do more with. And the other thing is basically as we work, as we put out content, and as we put out different ideas and we see how people are reacting, we can also take our own content, put it all side by side, and we can start to see the patterns for ourselves. And patterns are the precursors to frameworks. You need to be able to see the patterns in the work that you're doing in order to be able to develop a framework and say, oh, this is something that's happening on a fairly regular basis. So I can say, this is the checklist, or I can say, this is the three-step process, or I can say, this is the Venn diagram because you've actually watched it and you've seen how the market responds. Mm, that's awesome. It seems simple. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I think a lot of the time, um, you know, when you present something or when you put information out there, um, there is this aspect of sort of simplicity, right? When we're just like, well, just go and do it, right? But the challenge that, you know, anybody who hears this, uh, especially like if somebody hears give yourself permission to suck, is going to be, oh, yeah, well, that's easy for you because you're just like comfortable with putting your stuff out there and you don't really worry about it. And, and the fact of the matter is that we're so inundated with information that unless you're putting out something like horribly like ridiculously offensive and you're like, you know, showing videos of you drowning kittens and stuff, you're, you're not going to get this like massive, you know, uh, response anyway, regardless of how good it is, because we're all just inundated with information. So it, it's not worth it to really worry about will it be received or will it not be received? How many likes am I going to get, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because you are at the mercy of 
all of this other information. All you're really trying to do, and it actually is interesting because it goes back to what we were talking about when you're reaching out to these high-level people. All you're really trying to do is pull the thread. All you're trying to do is write something that gets somebody to say, huh, this person really you know, has something interesting. So maybe I'm going to follow their stuff a little bit more. Or maybe I'm going to get on their mailing list and listen to what they have to say. And then it goes, it, it goes from there. And you just keep iterating. You just keep working on it. Um, and just don't worry about it being this, this massive thing because content doesn't, the, the problem that most people, uh, sort of encounter specifically in this thought leadership space is that all the people, I I call them experts, the networking experts who are out there, they, they try to tell you that thought leadership is what's going to make you money or that getting press is what's going to make you money. And the fact of the matter is you're the one who's going to make you money. You're going you're gonna to develop a service. You're going to sell that service to somebody. And whether you were featured in Forbes or whatever, all of those you know, different, different things, that's not going to be the difference between you getting $5,000 and $50,000. What's going to be the difference is what have you built that's yours that people feel like they need to spend money on? It doesn't matter if you've got a logo on, on your site. Yeah, it's great for people to be like, oh, well, I guess they're a little more legitimate, but it is not the game changer. And, and the only reason why people want you to believe that it's the game changer is because they're trying to sell you on a PR program or a live event that will basically make you, you know, into that person who gets the press or who gets the, you know, gets the accolades, who gets the thought leadership, et cetera. They're, they want you to buy. So just remember that it's you and it's going to come down to you and that there isn't a quick fix when it comes to when it comes to thought leadership, no, oh, that's so true. And it's it's oh, the lo- logos are like my pet peeve. Yeah, it, I I get so many times people spending so much time on logos, but I'm like it, it, the the time you spent on this logo or nitpicking this image or nitpicking this, you could have been writing blog post after blog post after blog post, copying, making video after video after video, and putting it out there and seeing what works. Because it, it, yeah, you're you're dead on with that, and it's just a matter of getting out there. And you know, we see these thought leaders, quote unquote, the big ones, quote unquote, happen overnight. But you don't realize, like, like we were talking about Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, how many hundreds of articles? And in fact, in his latest podcast, he talks about you know ha- having to schlep all over the country and follow all you know, be in the press for this ridiculous stuff over and over and over again mm-hmm. um, before hitting hitting it quote a bit overnight with the tipping point yeah and and the thing is i i talk about this a lot where it's basically when people think about media they see the hockey stick they never mm-hmm. see the step ladder that's behind the hockey stick yep yeah and there's always there are people who there are invisible influencers who you have no idea are are out there because they teach the people that you admire right and they're the ones making the introductions and sort of solving that person's problem but nobody's going to write an article about then i got this introduction to this person and then this happened and then this happened nobody's going to write a stepladder article everybody's going to write an article of i was scrounging on my couch cushions 
trying to find, you know, trying to find change to buy, you know, a, a, a pizza from, from Taco Bell. And then I uh, sent a LinkedIn message and I now own a seven or eight figure business. Like that's, that's what these people want because media is obsessed with contrast. Like we pay attention because of our brain, our brains are wired for contrast. So we don't want to hear about the person who went from $5,000 to $50,000. We want to hear about the person who went from $5,000 to 5 million. And in many cases, if we're reading the article, we want to hear that there was one person who solved it or one thing that they did because it's far too complex going back to just the whole sort of idea of how people think about, you know, buying and, and, and making a choice. It's far too complex to think about all of the things that that person had to do to get to that particular place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it's not sexy and it's overwhelming, yep. but uh, it, it's all about that relationship. Um, so speaking of relationships, like building relationships is important. You know, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little about like, you know, getting And most people are listening to this. They want to get leads. So they're thinking about mm-hmm. getting relationship with potential lead sources or whatever. But how do you determine, I have two questions. How do you determine which relationships besides just getting leads you should be mm-hmm. developing? And then how do you create, I don't want to say a framework, but how, how do you do this on a daily basis? Because I believe that this is something that should be done on a daily basis, not just a, you know, a one time, let's go to a boot camp. Yeah. So, so the first uh, aspect of sort of, how do you make that, how do you make that decision? Um, you've got to look at what is your interaction with this, with this individual, Right. And is your interaction with this individual one in which you feel energized and excited and you feel like you can really do something together? Or is it an uh, environment, especially if you're dealing with prospects, is it an environment in which you feel like somebody's just grilling you to figure out if you're good enough? Yeah. And you, so basically there, there are two types of client types. Uh, you have your fixed mindset clients and your growth mindset clients. Your fixed mindset clients are the people who basically think if I pay you enough money, you'll fix me. And your growth mindset clients are the ones who are like, I know that there are things that I need to do. I know that you have knowledge that I don't have. So I'm going to pay you money to give me that knowledge and to help me through this process. But I recognize that there's work that I have to do. And you want growth mindset clients. So if you're dealing with somebody who is trying to basically just like evaluate you, you don't want to spend a lot of time with those people. If you're dealing with somebody who is spending the time talking back and forth with you about where they want to go and what they want to do next, and and this is really important, you honestly feel that you're a fit and that you can help them solve that problem, then those are the people to spend more time with. And outside of the client side of things, who are the people who they do ask about you? They talk to you about you and what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do. And they're there for you. They're supportive of you. Because what tends to happen, I like to refer to these people as your advocates. Your advocates are usually awful at advocating for themselves. People who are really great at giving things to you and helping you are usually terrible at letting you know when they're struggling and when they need things. So it's your job to stay in touch with these people and make sure that you know what's going on in their life 
because they're never going to come to you and let you know if something's not working, even though they just sent you that massive referral, even though they might have just sent you that big opportunity, and your natural inclination is to think they don't need anything. You never know. So you always want to do that. And then on the daily side, I have a very um, simple breakdown for myself that you can you can spread this out daily you can spread this out as a weekly thing you can do this as a daily thing depending on how you want to structure it but I call it the gate strategy and basically the gate strategy is this every day you make it a point to give without expectation of return so you just think of something that you can do or something that you can help with and you just do it you, it, whether that be an introduction, whether it be you share some content with somebody or you help somebody out, whatever it is, and you just build the credibility within your, within your network. Now, it's really important to understand this is a gift, not a transaction. So you cannot expect that the other person is going to give anything back to you. Like the, the whole God of reciprocity thing is not going to work for you. So just expect that when you do this, you're building credibility. And if you do down the line need to ask for something from that individual, don't expect them to say yes. Because it's not, you didn't tell them it was a transaction. You gave them a gift. The second is every day you ask. Actually, can I pause you one second? Because I think that it's a super important point that we're, I don't want to gloss over. Sure. But I also think in someone's content too, in their emails, like giving, I see so many people struggle with this idea of giving without the idea that you're going to get anything back from this mm-hmm. and really giving and almost giving till it hurts. But I think it's an important thing for people to realize that it's, it's what makes the, the great great is that they you know the people that you see they put it all out there it's not and ironically it's not gated but uh, (laughs) you know it's not like oh if you log in here i'm going to give you the secret it's like no here's everything here's everything you know and you want to take it to the next level there you go but i I think that's an important point so sorry to interrupt i just yeah no worries i want to highlight that yeah no i think that's a really important point i think you you want to make sure that if you are giving it is a true gift and it's not it's not a it's not a tactic it's not a you know it's not a tool um to sort of try and trigger reciprocity right um Mm -hmm. the a is for ask and every day you should be making it a point to ask for something that you truly need because we save up our asks. We usually mm-hmm. don't let people know what it is that we're looking for or what it is that we could use help with. And the fact of the matter is there are plenty of people in your circle that would be willing to help you because of things that you've done for them in the past or just because they like what you're up to and what you're doing. And it's so easy to save that up. So every day you just think of something that you can ask for that you truly need, that you really do honestly need. The T is for thank. And every day you think of someone that you can give a very, very strong thank you to. Not a just THX email, but you like send them something that says, hey, this is what you did for me, or this is what you said to me, and this is what it did. And this is, this is what it meant. And you really give them a clear picture of your gratitude. And, you know, some, some, some folks can, you can take it even further if you, you know, if you're, if you're more of a gifting person and you want to thank them with a gift and all those different types of things, but it's absolutely amazing. The number of people who give advice and, and, and present and sort of help and get the, the tiniest of emails back or never hear back from the person about whether or not they actually did the things that this person gave them the advice to do. 
And when you do that, when you come back to somebody, you're like, this is what you did and this is what it meant and this is how it helped. It just completely changes their view of you because now you're somebody who actually like follows through, right? And does the things that you're going to say you're going to do. I often tell people, if you want to blow people's minds, there's only two steps. One, you do what you say you're going to do. Step two, you do it promptly. You will blow people's minds because the number of people who don't do what they say they're going to do and the number of people who take months, years, some cases decades to, to actually do that thing, it's pretty high. So you just being responsible and actually doing what you commit to uh, and doing it in a timely manner will completely make you stand out from everybody else. The last thing is the E, which is for experiment. And basically, every day, look at the work that you're doing and ask yourself, what is one variable that I can test? What is one thing that would be interesting for me to try or, or do differently? That could be how you're setting up your meetings. That can be um, you know, how you're reaching out to people. That can be the subject line that you're using in an email. And then at the end of the day, you close the gate. At the end of the day, you reflect on the experience and you say, okay, how did I feel about the gift? How did I feel about the asking? Like what actually happened there? How did I feel about the thanking? You know, where, where is that going? And how did I feel about the experiment? And if you're doing this on a daily basis, you do this on a, on a regular basis, what will happen is you'll start to get data because you'll start to notice certain elements of your network, certain ways that people are interacting. And from that data, you're going to start to see patterns. And again, patterns are the precursors to frameworks. So once you start to notice that, you can start to be very thoughtful about where you're investing your time and who you're investing your time with. And you can start to know, okay, these are the people who are real advocates in my life. These are the people who kind of waste my time. These are the clients that I really like doing work with. These are the clients that I don't. And you can start to build your own boundaries so that you are giving in a place where you feel most comfortable and and feel in your power. And you're asking in a place where you feel most comfortable and in your power because you understand the market. You understand the audience uh, around you. So everything that you're building is for them as opposed to, as opposed to for you. Yeah. And that's, that's a great, <clears throat> great system. I mean, that's fantastic. And I, I mean, it's pretty simple to do, but I think for a lot of people, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes. Right? Parts yep. of it would be uncomfortable. I mean, I know I have a problem asking anyone yep. or anything. So um, how do you get past that discomfort? Sure. So, so basically the thing to understand about asking is that for most of us, there is a, there is a psychological thing actually happening. So anytime we give um, and we help somebody else or we support somebody else, there is a chemical reaction that happens in the body. Now, some say it's oxytocin. Some say it's dopamine. Regardless of whatever you decide that the chemical is, there is a good feeling that you get by giving to someone else. There is no chemical association uh, basically connected to asking. So if we ask, there is nothing chemical that happens in the body. There is no rush that happens. So automatically, just from a biological standpoint, giving will always be more attractive to us than asking. Now, in addition to that, most of the time, we have been taught how to ask incredibly poorly. 
because from our childhood, the presentation of asking was, if you don't ask, you don't get, just ask for it, just go for it, all of these very direct kinds of concepts. So most people, when they think about asking, they think about it from the angle of a direct ask. They think I have to go to somebody and say, will you do this thing for me? Or can you refer me clients? Or can you do X, Y, Z? And the fact of the matter is, if we've just met somebody, then the fight or flight response is already going into effect. Our primitive brains are in control during that point. So when we ask directly, we go back in our minds to the wild. And the person who's being asked feels like their food is being stolen. And we feel like we're stealing their food. So there is a natural discomfort that's tied to any time that we ask directly. Now, how do you hack that? You ask in a different manner. You ask indirectly is the next form of asking. It's easy to remember these because they spell the word dime. Um, So indirect asking is when you say to somebody, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. Do you have any ideas as to how I can accomplish it? Do you have any thoughts? And what happens is when you ask somebody for ideas as to how you can accomplish your goal, the brain can't stay in the level of fight or flight because fight or flight is just a yes or no. We, we can only sort of think in that way. Once you engage the creative part of the brain, the brain has to go up to the level of reasoning. And I tell people this all the time. You limit the things you get in life when you limit other people's creativity. If you don't allow somebody else to be creative in solving your problem and you just ask them and say, I want this thing, it's easy for them to say yes or no. Conversely, if you say, this is what I'm trying to do. Do you have any ideas? Do you have any thoughts? They can sometimes come up with a much, much better way to solve your problem or sort of fix it. The next level is mutually beneficial where you take the time ahead of time to figure out how what you're asking for is going to benefit both you and the individual. And then you paint that picture for them. So you show them that this is what you're going to, this is what you're going to pay, or this is what you're going to contribute. And this is what you're going to get in return. And you help them see how there is this mutual benefit to the arrangement. And a lot of people, when they ask for introductions, this is the mistake that they make. They just say, can you introduce me to so-and-so? I want to pitch them or I want to, I want to be on their podcast or whatever it is. They don't say, um, do you think it would make sense to be introduced to so-and-so? This is what I think would be helpful based on the research that I've done about them and sort of what I understand. And then the last thing, the last form of asking is the E, which is for the extraordinary. And that's when you sit down and you ask yourself what you feel is impossible. So what you feel uh, is something that is just sort of like outside of the realm of possibility. And then you reach out anyway. And the interesting thing is when you're reaching out to somebody who is like a moonshot for you, most of the people who reach out to that person they're reaching out with a direct ask because they believe that that's the way to solve the problem. So if you're the one who reaches out with an indirect ask and you ask them an interesting question and you get them engaged, or you reach out with a mutually beneficial ask, you'll completely change the way that you're perceived because most people at the top have people just coming to them trying to get something super quick and not taking the time to get to know them, get to understand them, and just build a relationship. Wow, that's powerful stuff. Thanks. Uh, uh, and 
fantastic and it's a great framework. Um, so obviously, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to do all this stuff, but now it's it's about guidance. So tell me a little bit about how someone would work with you to get these things done. Sure. So a lot of it just comes down to you first uh, sitting down and going through, uh, I call it a referable brand intensive, where what I would do is I would sit down with them and really talk through what it is that they're doing in their business and what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, Because I first have to understand why they're doing the work like what it is that's at the core of it uh, to make sure that the message that they've already created is actually in line with who they are. Once we've gotten into that, then we're able to get into more detail about what, well, what is that message? What is that language? And start to rework the language, start to think about what kind of content will help with this, start to think about how they're managing those relationships and are they managing those relationships at all and how that's going to tie into the growth of the business and and that particular process. Once we've done that particular intensive, uh, there are some, there are some individuals who want to do more work. So a lot of time what I'll do is I'll work with them over a series of months uh, in more of a coaching capacity so that I can actually track what they're doing in real time. So like, let's say they put out an article or let's say they're doing some outreach Uh, I can look at what they're doing with that outreach and start to give them feedback on it during the sessions and really help them dial in uh, that message and start to clear away a lot of the stuff that's just not working. Uh, And that's usually the way that I I approach it. But it always starts from, from a place of I need to understand the person first and I need to understand where they're at. And if I am actually the person to help them, uh, I, I pretty much will, I never sell anybody. It's never about me saying, this is why you should work with me. It's me saying, what are you trying to do? And do I honestly think my expertise is what's going to get you there? And if I don't think it is, a lot of the time what I'll do is I'll assess what it is that they're struggling with. And I'll usually suggest somebody else who I feel uh, would their expertise would be more suited to uh, to what they're trying to do? Awesome. And um, so, if if someone wants to get started and work with you, they just go to smallponenterprises.com and connect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so if they go to smallponenterprises.com, there's a download um, called "Hang with Your Heroes." And it's basically a PDF that I made uh, that breaks down some of this asking methodology and sort of how you think about reaching out to, reaching out to sort of higher level individuals. And what will happen is uh, they'll get the PDF and then they'll get an invite to be on my daily email. And uh, I don't just sign somebody up for a daily email because that is, that is a choice I want to make sure that somebody makes consciously. Um, and basically once they're on the daily email, it is me. Uh, so if they read an article or if they read something that's, they can just respond to that email and I respond to everything. Uh, so if they reach back out to me and say, Hey, I'd love to learn more about working together or doing something together. Um, I'm more than happy to answer and be in touch. I'm also on all of the, you know, all the different platforms. Um, I've had people reach out on LinkedIn after hearing an interview and, I'm always happy to see where I can be helpful, um, you know, in their work and, and that side of things as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, this has been fantastic. It's a lot of fantastic information. I, I think that people should listen to over and over again and definitely connect with you and get on your list. I really appreciate you being on. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun, and uh, and thanks for really digging uh, deeper into these uh, in, into these questions. It's always fun uh, when somebody has uh, very very specific things to to sort of uh, latch onto when I explain these concepts. Uh, and I love having these types of conversations. So again, thank you. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I love talking about this stuff and hopefully it helps all of you listening. Um, and make sure to check out smallpondenterprise.com. Get on his list, download that PDF. I mean, this is fantastic information that'll help all of your marketing, no matter what you're doing, it'll help your business and building relationships is never going to go away. In fact, it's more important than ever. So thank you all for taking Michael and I on your journey. This has been Ian Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 